0: Welcome to WeChat Divorce, hosted by Karen Chalou, Legal Liaison, and Katherine Shanahan, CDFA. Each episode, we sit down with divorce professionals and industry experts to provide insights and frank discussions about real people, real situations, and real divorce to help you achieve your best life post divorce. This episode of WeChat Divorce is brought to you by My Divorce Solution offering divorce financial planning so clients can secure the divorce settlement they deserve. Visit mydivorcesolution.com to request access.
1: Welcome to WeChat Divorce. Catherine and I welcome Caroline Strawson, award-winning ICF accredited trauma-informed coach and therapist today. Caroline helps women experience post-traumatic growth after dealing with abuse from narcissistic partners. Our episode today is all about overcoming financial trauma, how divorce can actually become your superpower. In this episode, we'll discuss how to claim or take back your financial power and how to view narcissism through a trauma-informed lens with Carolyn's help, of course. It can be done. But first let's meet Caroline. Caroline has a successful global therapy and coaching business and is the number one best-selling author of Divorce Became My Superpower. She is host of the number one tunes uh, the number one iTunes podcast, the Narcissistic Trauma Recovery Podcast. That is really hard to say. <laughs> she has appeared on national television, newspapers, magazines and radio and supports thousands with her number one healing system, the Narcissistic Trauma Recovery Program. Welcome, Carolyn.
2: Oh, thank you so much for having me. I always think whenever I listen to all of that, it's like, is that, is that actually me? Because you can kind <laughs> of can remember what it was like when I was married to the narcissist. So it was, it's, it's always nice to think that there is growth, growth, hope um and like beyond narcissistic abuse absolutely
1: yeah i think that's so true when people are moving forward sometimes we forget to remember where we were and i know a lot of people going through the divorce process you know the the journey is fairly challenging and difficult but if you do take those moments to just pause and say well look how far i've come you may have farther to go but to your point acknowledging the the, you know, the journey you've traveled so far is, is really great.
2: It is. I think so many of us are addicted to struggle. So when we're looking at where we think we should be from a trauma perspective as well, it's keeping us filled with our bodies in a fight, fight, freeze response as well. So like you say, we're, we're seeking out this never ending destination that nobody ever gets to as such. It is, it's about celebrating how far we've come and really just keep taking each day as it comes and just doing the best that we can. Oh, that's great.
1: Well, I know Carolyn and uh, Catherine and I have really enjoyed getting to know you better recently, but I think our listeners would really benefit from hearing a little bit about your story.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, it it really, I, I turned 50 a couple of weeks ago actually in June oh. 15th. And, you know, I was reminiscing about where I was on my 40th birthday as well. And literally just over 10 years ago, I just lost my family home. So myself and my children had been made homeless. we had been made to go into this small little house near where I live as well, because I'd lost my family home. It had been repossessed here in the UK because of all the debt I was in because of my ex-husband. So, you know, I was married for 12 years. I was together with him for over 14 years. Didn't even realise I was in an abusive relationship. I suppose I correlated abuse with physical abuse. I didn't really know too much about psychological and emotional abuse. We don't get taught it in schools. We get taught about bullying in schools, but we don't necessarily get taught about adult relationships and abuse at schools, you know, and where that correlation comes. So, you know, I'd been married to my ex-husband and we ended up going through a divorce. I didn't realise I was in that abusive relationship. I didn't realize we were in over £73,000 worth of debt. So, you know, getting towards $100,000 worth of debt. And, you know, in our society, it's, you know, broken home, single mom, you know, and I was feeling a lot of shame. I was diagnosed with PTSD, which I now know would have been complex PTSD, depression, anxiety. I was self-harming. I was having pretty much daily panic attacks that I was trying not to have. And I was really, really at rock bottom. And financially, it was tough. know the two main things for me was wanting to be the best obviously for my children but to do that i needed money for that to happen and the money coming in wasn't equal equaling the money going out and even though i was a podiatrist at the time i ran a clinic one day a week but i needed to be there for my children because my ex moved quite far away my mum wasn't around anymore so it was really really challenging and i was really low i felt so much shame about that i was this divorced woman and all the labels we associate because I was brought up on fairy tales. You know, we were meant to live happily ever after. And I suppose that's how I tried to be in my marriage, even though I knew it was not working. It's like stay together. You know, my kids are going to be better off with a family and a home and all of this. And actually all of my biggest fears of losing my home, getting a divorce, you know, they were my big fears. They all came true, you know, and, and actually afterwards, of course, in the, when you're in them, they are the worst thing ever, but actually being out the other side now, you know, I went through all of that. To, I wouldn't be where I am now had I not gone through all of this. And, you know, when I wrote my book, Divorce Became My Superpower, I genuinely saw it as that. You know, once I realized I'd been in a marriage with a covert narcissist and I started to retrain because I wanted to help people in this space, particularly around the trauma element of this and the somatic side of it. And you know because i realized just talking about it can sometimes make you feel worse we have to work within the body and you know the financial element of all of that that was really hard to come out of and lift the shame of that because i was a single mum of two small children at the time and i was juggling everything getting pretty much zero support losing my home and it is about taking one step at a time and kind of you know i hit 50 like i said a couple of weeks ago my life literally is unrecognizable like you know i'm financially secure i'm independent i own my own home now in my name you know i've been able to privately educate my two children what i'm putting my son at the moment through university and i'm sure my daughter will follow really without a single penny or literally a tiny few pennies that he has to give me by law over here in the uk but on my own and You know, it was a really, really tough time. And I genuinely believe that my divorce and being married to a narcissist was like an alarm clock for me. You know, he really woke me up to really what my wounds were already there. He shone a great big spotlight on them, but they were already there. And that was feelings of worthlessness, not being good enough. And really my marriage to the narcissist, uh, my ex-husband just shone a spotlight on that. And as hard as it might be for maybe some of the listeners to hear this, I feel incredible gratitude for that now. Didn't at the time, but I do now because actually, had I not healed those and known about them at the depths that I did, I wouldn't be living the life that I am now, being the parent I am now to my children, too. Yeah,
3: and then your children are the benefactors of that as well because they're being brought up so much differently um, than they would have been brought up. And so, you know, kudos to that and congratulations to you because, you know, you're saying it and you have beautiful smile on your face when you're saying this, because you are so proud of yourself. And I think that's something that we don't do. We don't, we don't give ourselves chances to be proud of ourselves, right? Proud of ourselves for whatever the journey is that we're on, for doing the best that we can at the time we're doing it, but then stepping through that into something more wonderful. And I'm sure it wasn't just overnight, right? This doesn't happen overnight. So if you're listening, it's not gonna happen tomorrow, but tomorrow is a good step to take forward.
2: And there isn't this kind of destination where you're going to wake up one day and go, oh, I'm healed. Great. Now I can get on with my life. It doesn't happen. You know, when we're dealing with trauma, domestic abuse, which is narcissistic abuse, it takes time. And, you know, we're always going to have emotions. We're all, you know, we're human beings at the end of the day, but it really is really that the narcissistic abuse was the platform for me to really go deep within and really explore that. Now, that doesn't mean I don't get angry now or cry now. I do. I'm a human being, but I always get curious and I, you know, I don't feel the way I do because of anybody else. It's not because of them. I feel the way I do because of how I feel about me, about how they are behaving towards me. And that was the real key for me and the power shift of me not needing to change everybody else or have them feel a certain way towards me. It was really going within and looking at why do i feel this way about how somebody else treats me because they're always projecting their own wounds outwardly it was just how i was receiving those that was the power shift for me you know my ex-husband hasn't changed even now but i have changed how i see him now i don't see his behavior as a reflection of me so he's still the same the work has come from within and that's really key in knowing the power is not in changing everybody else or making them see your side and then and they're suddenly gonna change. You know, that's like drink you drinking rat poison and expecting the rat to die. It's not going to happen. But how you get curious about why am I feeling like this when other people treat me like that? That's where the key and the power comes from. You know
3: i mean i just had like a little not epiphany but a little correlation i would like to point out because you know that is really a very powerful statement that you're making and i also was married to a narcissist for 23 years and i also had to do my own healing and so i do like how you bring that it is about us and what we have to do internally but you know let's flip this over during divorce on the financial side if you if you don't mind because that's the same thing with the data that you're receiving. You don't have to listen to what everybody else is telling you because you're not aware of what your kind of investments that you have or what a pension is or any of that. You have to internally say, you know what, I'm worth this knowledge. It, I am worth it to invest in getting this information for myself because I'll make a smart decision for myself. And this way, if it's a, if it's a, if it's a decision that you regret later, you did, it to, you did it knowingly. You did it for yourself. Um, If it's something that you gave up and somebody else is telling you that you made a wrong choice, well, you know what, they can't tell you that because you did it knowingly. And having your financial portrait, which is what we do, provides that same space, you know, decide for yourself what's best for yourself, and then you can move forward um, financially, emotionally, in every other direction.
2: So true. I know when we've spoken before as well, I wish I knew you guys when I was going through my divorce because money scared me. You know, money was what I needed to survive. It it was one of the things I turned away from the most. You know, once I found out we were in all this debt, it was like I was paralyzed in fear that, you know, what decisions would i make where would that be where would i live how could i be the best mother i could possibly be to my children and i felt like i was navigating this kind of choppy waters with my ex and you know trying to get decisions and looking at my work what could i do but then there was childcare issues and and it was really scary and like i said you know I'd have bills literally coming into the house at the time and I would genuinely I would put them in the bin. I didn't want to open anything. I was literally in this freeze shock response that I just buried my head and I didn't want to know because I thought if I knew it would be even worse than how I felt of the not knowing. And that made me really disempowered then in this and and even from a financial abuse perspective, you know, I earned more than my ex when we Had our first child, I earned more, but I gave up work. And again, that was my choice as well. It wasn't just, you know, him making me do that, but the kind of gentle financial abuse and manipulation over the years of him being the sole breadwinner as such and me knowing he was the sole breadwinner and that side of it, and then feeling reliant upon him to isolate myself so that, you know, yes, I worked a little bit and earned some, everything was kind of in his name and what he had, other than I think our mobile phones were in my, in my name as such, but pretty much everything else was in his name. And that was really scary then, because even then, when we went through the divorce and I had to move houses, it's having Bill's all in my name, sole name. So it was almost like I didn't even have the backup then of him. It was like, oh, my God, if I don't pay my bills, my electricity, my gas, it was really, really scary. And when we were going through and then sorting out our finances, I always say it's I, I didn't come away with nothing from my ex. I came away with less than nothing. because I came away with and, and and that made me feel really angry for a while because I could see others coming away with something. I came away with less than nothing. But the one thing I remember is and this was his pension. And and again, this was down to the lawyer that I had as well at the time. And I remember we were kind of arguing about everything anyway. But this pension he did not want me to have one single penny of his pension. And I remember talking. And again, bear in mind, I'm in that deep freeze trauma response as well. I remember talking to my lawyer about what to do about the pension. And and of course, I was in the here and the now as just kind of survival mode as well, you know, in my 40s or late 30s at the time. And I remember saying to her, you know, he won't give me any of his pension, but I know I'm entitled to some of it. And then she said, yeah, but what it would cost you to go to court to actually get some of that it's not going to be worth it and i remember thinking oh okay and and i had to just say to my ex, i'm fine then i won't have anything uh-huh. so i literally came away with nothing and i think you know and i know you guys do this if i'd have known at the time to not just think about the here and the now but maybe when i'm in my 60s or 70s you know that two, three, four, five hundred pounds a month could have made a real big difference to me. I mean, I'm in a great position now because I've created my own wealth anyway. But had I not, I'd have literally had, I mean, in the UK, we have like a state pension and it's not a lot. That would have been my old age as such, because all of those years that I was with my ex supporting him whilst he went out to work, I didn't, And even that, you know, I didn't get one single penny of that, you know, through how I was being manipulated by my ex and the advice that I had from my lawyer as well.
3: Well, you know, that
2: that comment
3: is made so often and I can feel my blood pressure going up as you're saying this, because it's the threat of you don't want to go to court or you don't want to spend money to go to court to find out if you're going to get any of that. Like who gives you the who gives anyone the right to tell anybody else that question? You can say, here's my fees to go to court. Here's what you might be giving up as far as the pension goes, because that number probably was never given to you properly. And here's the risk reward or the time frame is going to take, or here's something else you can negotiate with. Like Put the option We're Karen and I are fast and furious about everyone knowing what your options are, because once you know what your financial options are, then you get to choose whether you want to go to court or not. Um, it's nobody else's choice. And now we sit here today saying, you know what, that could have been something for my retirement, or it could have been something that you were saving to just have, you know, or not have, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to anyone, but to you.
1: And to frame it out a little bit differently in that space, what you experienced, Caroline, I would think 70% of women in your situation went through that because what happens, the the trajectory of that attorney-client relationship is you go in, you expect that they're going to save you, and so you spend all of your money, and then nothing is happening, and then when the rubber hits the road, that's when the attorney says they know you're out of money, so they know they're not going to get paid, and then your concerns, they, they know there's no way to pay for them, but there's... There's options, as you know, as Catherine said. Well, what if you, you know, send a letter? Or what if we do these other things short of going to court? Because you're it's, you know, you're entitled to that. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. And it probably goes all the back, all the way back where you started. And if we can connect the dots a little bit for people here. So you said you were in a relationship where you were living in a narcissist relationship and you didn't know it. And then you were a victim of financial abuse as a result of that relationship. And then your relationship failed, and then you find yourself in divorce. So can you connect the dots for our listeners to, so they can identify with that pathway and then they can see their way forward?
2: Yeah, I think it's, it was even when I came out of the marriage, just the knowledge of that was, was good. But my emotions, because of that trauma response to all of that, and then obviously conversing with um, an attorney, a lawyer around going through a divorce, you know, my dad actually paid for my divorce, you know, he actually paid for that and it was basic, but I even remember my ex wouldn't even use an attorney himself. He'd hand scroll replies back to my lawyer. And I actually even had to say to her in some respects, I said, I feel like my, my dad is paying for you to be a lawyer for both me and my ex, because he hasn't got a clue. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's just saying this. And then we're kind of, you're trying to explain it to him, but we're paying for this. and And I felt like towards the end with this, like you say, the patterns of being in this marriage, being reliant on my husband, you know, like many women are, feeling then realizing, you know, it's not that I'm just gonna get 50% of something. There isn't actually anything to have really other than the pension as such as an asset-wise in the relationship. But I really felt like my my attorney then, it was almost like, yeah, no more money left at the end kind of thing. You're too emotional, don't wanna carry on working with you. So it's gonna cost you too much, let's just end it now. And that's when I look back now, that's definitely the interpretation I have, all of that. I felt that there was no support with any of that. I felt like even when we were going through all of this, she was quite happy when she thought my dad was paying, but in the end, I was like, no, my dad's not paying anymore, nothing. But I know, and I knew I was entitled to that share of his pension as well. I knew I was, but the fear that I was in anyway, it was the thought of A, going to court, the cost of what it could be, you know, facing my narcissist in court as well, because I was in, you know, really traumatic state. It was almost like I will abandon myself and not do anything else and just have an easier life then and not have that. And it was probably only maybe three years after that, when I was really working on my own healing, that I thought, how badly have I been let down there by our system, by the law, by um, my lawyer, my attorney in that, that there was no... You know, no duty of care in any of that, but actually as a woman, I am entitled to that share of his pension because there was nothing else. Now, don't get me wrong, and you guys will know this, you know, it's got to be a fair and equitable split of everything, but there was nothing else. There literally was nothing else. So for this-
3: let uh, Let me bring up something really important here. If you're listening, it's really clear to me as having a similar story to yours, that the fact that you say three years went by and you realize this, it took me two and a half years to heal from my emotional abuse. And I don't even know if I'm ever really going to be healed from it, but you know what I mean? But what happens is when you're experiencing a relationship like your listeners experience in a lot of hours as well, you end up not getting the financial clarity because first of all you don't think you deserve it and so then you hop into an, you go get an attorney who's probably not the right attorney for you and a lot of times you get an attorney who may have narcissistic traits themselves so they're going to tell you what to do and you're so used to because you're not healed yet you're actually in the muck of it so you're so used to somebody dictating to you what's going to happen that you think well i can't question that because You're coming out of one relationship, you now have a professional who's treating you the same way, so you don't know how to stand up for yourself yet. And what I love about our process, and it actually gives me chills as we speak, is because we actually, Karen and I have the honor of seeing, particularly women, and there are some men, because there are a lot of narcissistic women out there too, we see their transformation of when their fear turns into focus based on the knowledge that they're receiving financially they sit a little differently with their attorneys. And so they know what type of an attorney they need. They know what type of an attorney to stay away from. And they know when they're being bullied again, so they're not afraid to ask as many financial questions. And I think that's probably one of my favorite um, proud moments of our divorce preparation platform, is to actually watch that transition. And Karen, I'm sure you're going to agree with this, Um, to see that happening because you do not know what type of an attorney that you need until you know what you have and you know what your options are. Then you pick your attorney. And then I love to see attorneys who have informed clients because then they have to be attorneys because you're informed and they have to do what
2: they're trained to do. And that's the attorney you want. And I think the key difference with this as well is the trauma element of that. You know, if you're dealing with a client who has experienced trauma, who has experienced abuse, you know, you are in a trauma response trying to deal with your attorney and they can be quite dismissive and that can be very triggering. You know, in my community, we hear so much about feeling let down by attorneys in this situation because they just aren't hearing the abuse that they've had yet we're dealing with someone who's meant to know what they're doing. You know, if we go to a doctor, we would assume we'd be cared for correctly. Although, you know, that's another show really as well, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> if they've got this academia, then, you know, they're meant to know what they're doing. But there's such a missing piece around attorneys and lawyers is that they're not trauma informed. They don't understand how to communicate with somebody who has been in an abusive relationship. And, you know, they might be emotional one minute, but then they might be wanting the details the next minute. But we can feel very very dismissed and we're already feeling pretty worthless coming out of that relationship anyway and and it is a form of post-separation abuse that can happen then with attorneys as well that we just fall into that relationship again thinking that we they know what they're doing and we're going to believe them very dismissive with us and if we ask questions we're shut down and we're left kind of well we'll do whatever you say and because we believe them and mm-hmm. like the stuff and the work that you do it's that you know the understanding of it had i had someone like yourselves who were caring and allowed me to know and feel that i've been in an abusive relationship but kind of dipped my toe into kind of looking at my finances you know that would have been amazing because i felt scared i felt alone and i felt a huge amount of shame and that was the key thing for me shame that A, I'd stayed in the relationship for as long as I had. Secondly, I didn't know until I came out. And then we had no money other than this pension. And it was, how could I be so stupid? I don't want to share that with a professional because they're going to think, "Mm, you're a bit silly, aren't you? Kind of thing. So there were so many different things wrapped up in all of that. Yet still wanting to be the best mom for my two children in all of that and still having to live my life too. And it was really, really hard and really challenging.
1: Yeah. I can see that. And, you know, your journey through this is allowing you to make a difference for all of those coming right behind you. So in that space, um, Carolyn, can we talk about your program and what you offer? Um, I think it's called the IFC and CBD CPD Accredited School of Embodiment Trauma Informed Living Program.
2: Yeah, so I set up a school, actually, of healing programs, coaching certifications, because, again, I realized there was a real gap in helping people heal from the trauma of narcissistic abuse, domestic abuse, because, again, there's a lot of talking stuff, affirmations, which are great. But we have to work somatically in the body. So I have a number of healing programs, sort of healing codependency, narcissistic trauma recovery program and regulates so really regulates in our nervous system. And then because I was burning out myself then working on a one-to-one basis because I'd retrained them because I wanted to help people in this space, I thought, well okay, if other people are coming to me and I can't actually work with them, I need to train people on how to work with people from a trauma informed lens as well. And that's exactly what I did. So, my ICF and CPD accredited somatic trauma informed coaching certification and also um, narcissistic trauma informed coaching certification, where I teach others to be coaches either in a trauma space or specializing in narcissistic abuse as well. So, they can go off and work with people, not just cognitively, not just kind of helping them with strategy and things like this, but at a really deep nervous system level. So this kind of means going back to childhood and really looking at elements of our you know, um, parents and attachment styles and stuff and really looking at our nervous system with all of that, too. And it's really, I mean, it should be taught in schools, really. We're we're working on that, too. Uh, It really should be done. So, you know, we've had over 500 coaches now go through the certifications, making such a huge difference out there in the world with that level of understanding from the nervous system perspective. You know, our words, our body language. know they mean so much and other people interpret them in a certain way so yeah it's 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 a really really i just love 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 what i do because i don't want someone to feel a second longer than they have to how i felt for many many years when there's ways that you can work through all of this too I'm glad you yeah. said
3: that because earlier you said that you didn't even realize that you were in an emotionally abusive relationship because we're only trained that if you're hit or you push somebody or you physically touch, harm somebody that it's abusive, where you don't realize the weight of words and um, what they can do to you. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy to hear that you're focusing on that training and it's being brought into the systems of the schools. You
2: know, the number of messages I get say on Instagram when I put out, you know, posts every day of you know, my inbox is full of like, I didn't realize that was abuse. I didn't know that people, you know, it's not named as that. And you'd be surprised, you know, even from physical abuse, you know, because that can come with psychological abuse as well. And I've done many sessions with my clients where it's it's just a light slap or they only said this to me
1: So Mm -hmm.
2: we on a spectrum of what level of abuse it is. And I'm like, it is abuse. It's not you are an abuser or you're you know there's a little bit of abuse it's you are abusive or you're not you know Mm
1: -hmm. yeah
2: that it's not on a spectrum it is abuse
1: so in the space of financial abuse which i think you cover all areas of abuse but what what could people look or relate to in the five main types of financial abuse in your uh, programs
2: Yeah, so so really, again, even though it's financial abuse, a lot of it goes back to empowerment as well. A lot of it goes back to, and it can be our childhood stories even around money, you know, a, a lot of fear for me around money, even though it was in the moment of going through my divorce having looked at the financial trauma element of all of this, it, it went back to the stories I'd heard my mum and dad say, you know, people with money were bad, you know, so I was an overspender then, you know, I wouldn't have money because then, you know, you're bad if you have that, you know, my mum and dad were always in, in kind of their overdraft all of the time as well. So, you know, money had a very negative connotation for me, arguments and things like this too. So really to understand the financial abuse element, you know, certainly from a trauma perspective there, it's really understanding the whole dynamic again going back to our childhood the stories around this so that we can really layer up on all of this and really start to understand what is our relationship with money you know why am i burying my head is it the money or is it this as well and for me it was both um you know it's lots of different things so it's really about understanding all of that so that you can start to and and for me it was And I've been on a journey with money as well. Even when I started my business, you know, there was this element. I remember meeting with my accountant, even for the first time, saying, I'll be your worst client about money, literally. Just tell me what you need. I'll give it to you and you need to do the rest. I don't want to know. And yet, even now, and it's taken years even for this as well, because it still takes time from the trauma of losing, like literally losing everything. You know, I speak to her. I'm having a day with her in a couple of weeks as well. You know, I look in my bank account. That was the other thing I never did. I didn't want to look in my bank account. You know, I didn't know what was even really going in or going out. I just didn't want to know. So whereas now I look every day, I probably look three or four times into my bank account every single (laughs) day. But if you'd have said that to me years ago, I would, my heart would have started racing and everything. I just didn't want to know. And it's almost like, you know, this vision of, and the word bury your head was 100% me. I literally buried my head with it because I was scared and full of shame. And, you know, where I feel right now, you know the money side of it it is it's It's all interwoven that's why i always say you know divorce became my superpower because it really made me look at not just the abusive relationship but the money side of it the financial trauma element my own inner child wounds that i had, and it really layers up on all of that so that we can go out and live the best life that we possibly can because life is so precious
3: yes that's so good it's never too late to change your relationship with money so good for you for actually doing it and you know again When you go through our process, you know, it starts with that budget that you hated, right? So, you know, you want to put your head in the sand, but, you know, through our process, you can't. You have to be accountable to your information. And you're also accountable for the information that you don't have access to and whether or not you're going to wait for that information or move ahead without, with waiting for the information or move ahead without the information. You're you're really, it's your decision to make how involved you want to be and if you really want a financial reset. Because that can, I like how you go back to how you were raised about, you know, you, we always hear about people talking about their emotional abuse from when they were younger or any kind of abuse when they're younger. You never hear about someone trying to heal their story by how they were raised. You know, I was raised very different because my dad was a CPA and my mom was Mama Five, who didn't get educated after high school. So my dad was insistent that us four girls never rely on a man for money, and we have that. You know, I have the accounting brain. I'm CDFA, so. You know, we always did our building. It was very different in my family. So it's always interesting for me to hear other families and that, you know what, that is a problem. That is a problem um, a lot.
2: Yeah, interestingly enough, my mom, she had to leave school at 16 as well because she actually had to help in the household with her mom because her mom was a single parent too. And my mom's goal, I had two older sisters was, you know, you all have to get a degree, you know, it's like her three degrees when she was alive, you know, she had this picture of us all in our, you know, gown from a degree. And and again, exactly the same philosophy, so you never have to rely on a man for money. Yet, I know, even being a podiatrist from when I was a child, there's so many different layers and dynamics. So I became a podiatrist. And when I look back, I think, you know, I'd have loved to have been a surgeon or something when I look back, but even then at 13, 14, I love medical stuff and that too. I already loved all of this stuff. You know, my mum would, would kind of steer me away from that to do a job for a woman that she could do from home if she was also looking after the family. Now, don't get me wrong, that's good on one count as such, but I was already, even as a child my role in society as a woman was seen very differently than that of a man as well that yes you want to be able to look after yourself but only to a certain level and then the other stories around money around this too and when i was going through my divorce and i was living on my own with my children i was very much dealing in cash all the time i literally had cash you know i'd take money out and then that would be what i lived on and i remember you know driving my car around i'd only ever put ten pounds you know just over ten dollars worth of gas in the car hmm. i didn't know whether i could afford any more than that in the moment so i'd literally put that in i'd drive out of the forecourt and then you know give it a few miles and my red light was on again i think okay, maybe a little bit longer so i was literally in that, and, and i remember and i actually remember when i started building my business and coming out of debt and everything else I remember going to the petrol station the gas station and and filling my car up and no word of a lie i was filling my car up and i had tears streaming down my face because i had the money in my account to pay for filling my tank of petrol in my car you know and and that's why again i know what it's like to have no money to be at rock bottom to have literally you know robbing peter to pay paul but feeling that shame around it as well and you can come out of it. And it's like support from you ladies helping people in that moment. So they get what they are entitled to in those moments that they could have as a platform. Maybe then they wouldn't have to necessarily go through what I had to go through financially. But even if they did, you know, it's the, like you say, the knowledge, the power and working both internally as well as knowing what's going on externally as well. And I think it's so important.
1: That's great. Thank you, Caroline, for being so brave and courageous and willing to take these very necessary steps for you and your family because so many hundreds of thousands of people will benefit. Thank you so much. So this concludes our episode on overcoming financial trauma, how divorce can become your superpower. Caroline, how can our listeners find you and learn more about you and get that book?
2: Yeah, so the book is on Amazon, Divorce Became My Superpower. And then come over and follow me on Instagram. I have a a free support community on Facebook, Narcissistic Abuse and Trauma Recovery for Women. I do work with men one to one, but the group is primarily for women um, as well. And yeah, just come and follow me. Just because then you can see some of the things that I talk about the trauma element and you know my inbox is always open as well so you know myself and my team we do work tirelessly we never want to leave messages emails unanswered as well because we know what it's like to feel alone we know what it's like to feel in that dark tunnel and we don't want anybody to feel like that I follow
3: you and it's fantastic I love reading all the stuff you post so it's great yes follow Caroline it's
2: it's worth it Thank you. Appreciate
1: that. Absolutely. Thank you again for a fantastic conversation.
2: Thank you for inviting me.
0: If you're considering divorce, make sure to protect your wealth with divorce financial planning from My Divorce Solution. Our certified divorce experts will help you untangle your finances and understand your settlement options so you can negotiate your marital assets with confidence. Protect your financial estate with divorce financial planning. Visit MyDivorceSolution.com to see if you qualify to work with our financial divorce experts. That's MyDivorceSolution.com for expert divorce financial planning. Thanks for joining us on another episode of We Chat Divorce. We hope this episode was informative and supportive on your divorce journey. If you're looking for more support for navigating divorce with confidence and clarity, head over to MyDivorceSolution.com for more podcast episodes, divorce events, and resources for your divorce. We'll see you back here for our next episode.